Why don't you um, open to 1 Timothy chapter 2, please. The message tonight is entitled, What About Women Pastors? 1 Timothy 2, 11 through 14. Paul the Apostle has uh, confronted the women of Ephesus with their responsibility regarding holiness in the public worship by their manner of dress, opposed to the men leading in prayer. In chapter 2, verse 1 through 11 of 1 Timothy. This is the backdrop. Now Paul moves on to deal with the women's harmony in the public worship regarding teaching and her authority over a man in verse 11 through 14. The word harmony is defined by Webster's Dictionary as agreement or accord, as of feelings, also a pleasing combination of parts and elements, and last, a combination and progression of chords in musical structure. The entire idea is that of unity within diversity by a purposeful design to bring about a desired end. This is the design of God for men and women in the public worship despite their distinctive differences. They are to recognize the function and accord to their divine roles being in agreement with God. They are to show a pleasing combination of complementing parts. And they are to manifest structure and progression in an orderly manner, communicating God's clear design and purpose. So in other words, if what we are practicing, if what I am experiencing, I cannot point to the scripture in its context, I have no biblical right to be doing it or teaching it. Very important. So the answer to our question, what about women pastors? We want to look at three important truths Paul declares about women's order in public worship. That's how it'll get answered. It is found here in our text of 1 Timothy um, chapter 2 here, verse 11 through 14. Um, Let me give you the three First, the woman is to learn in the public worship, verse 11. Second, the woman is not to teach or have authority over man in public worship, verse 12. And then thirdly, the woman is to understand the scriptural reasons she is limited in public worship. Verse 13 and 14. So, the proposition is answered from within the text, as it always is when we study in the context. We don't make up the answer. The answer is given to us from within the scriptures. So, let's begin here with the first. The woman is to have or to learn in the public worship. Listen to the words of verse 11. Let a woman learn in silence with all submission. Now I can just hear women, okay? Pay attention. Don't get all riled up. Let the Bible speak and you'll see why. Paul was teaching contrary to culture. You need to understand this. Not what was culturally accepted when he wrote this. The woman in Judaism was forbidden to learn the law and anyone who taught her was casting pearls before swine, I am quoting, and stated, it is better to burn the Torah than to teach it to a woman. That was a Jewish concept, all right? So what he's teaching is contrary to the Jewish culture. The woman in the synagogue was to hear in order to obey, never to teach. The woman in the Hebrew culture was seen in a higher view than the pagan culture 
but she was still inferior to a man. The teaching of Paul was turning the heads of the Jews. Paul was teaching that the woman was spiritual in equality before God. That's what he was teaching. The word learn means to increase one's knowledge by inquiry or observation is related to the word disciple, which means a learner or a pupil. The word appears three times in the epistle. Here in chapter 2, verse 11, 5, 4, and 5, 13. Jesus used the word in the following manner. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Matthew eleven twenty nine. The woman is not intellectually inferior to understand spiritual truth by the Holy Spirit. Paul is saying. If she's born again, she can understand the same truth. Now, men and women think differently, but that has nothing to do with understanding God's word. The woman is to have her own personal relationship with Christ distinct from her husband or a man. As a single young woman, it's you and the Lord. Spiritual equality before God should never be confused with God's distinctive roles of male and female. That's very clear in Galatians 3.28. In 1 Corinthians 11.3, among many others, okay? By the way, that's the only identity that God gives you of distinction, male and female. Your color, your race, your religion, your nationality is worthless. God doesn't identify you that way. He identifies you as male and female. Very clear. Now, notice Paul was teaching... How the woman is to learn. The woman is to learn in silence. The command to silence means quietness, describing the life of one who stays at home doing their own work and doesn't officially meddle with the affairs of others, marking attitude. That's the word. This form of the word appears four times in the New Testament. It is used of the crowd in the temple when Paul began to speak, if you remember, in the Hebrew tongue, and they became silent in Acts 22.2 as he was accused of bringing Gentiles into the temple. It is used to instruct the disorderly who were not working, but were busybodies and they were to work in quietness and eat their own bread. Second Thessalonians 3.12 The feminine gender of this word appears only two times. It is here in verse 11 and verse 12. The only two times it's feminine. So it's important that you study the context, the grammar, and all that. Very important. Now, this, without any doubt, is a direct corrective to some of the women who were following some of their false teachers, being busybodies, ever learning and never coming to the knowledge of the truth that Paul speaks about in chapter 5, verse 13, and also in 2 Timothy 3, 6. He's writing to Timothy. This is the church of Ephesus. Paul prophesied about the false heresies and false teachers who were going to come in in Acts 20. They are here now. This particular command, some say, is teaching women were not to disrupt the teaching by asking questions to their husbands, others, or the teacher teaching in the public worship, just as in Corinth. But the next verse defines the context as teaching not disrupting context, context, context. So you can read anything you want into the text. It doesn't mean that's what the text is teaching. Very important. Now the woman, and the woman is to learn 
in silence, notice with all submission. Submission, we've gone through this when we did the family. It means subjection to another, knowing God's order. It's not blind subjection or submission. It's because you see God's order and you see God giving the directive and the revelation. It comes from the word hupatasso, which means to line up under a military word, uh, recognizing the rank, the order, marking submission and submissive obedience to a higher authority, God's word and God's will. You see it in Ephesians 5.22, Colossians 3.18, Titus 2.5, and 1 Peter 3.3. 3. It is use of the requirement for an elder to have his children in submission with all reverence in 1 Timothy 3.4, a qualification for ministry. The context of this submission is to responsible teaching overseers. Not that a woman is to submit to every or any man, for her husband is the head of her person and honors him as a daughter of Sarah, 1 Peter 3, 6. So each woman submits to her own husband. The submission to elders is only, it's the directive of the word of God in what it says but never above her husband. Okay, very important. Now, Isaiah, in judgment, cried out the following. Listen in Isaiah three twelve. It says, As for my people, children are their oppressors, and women rule over them. O oh, my people, those who lead you cause you to err and destroy the way of your paths. Children and women. It's a sign of the decayed society. Children run the schools. Women run most of the workforce in many different ways. Moms have been thrust out of the homes. It's a sign of decayed society, ladies and gentlemen, not an advanced society. In the words of Isaiah, this is judgment. I've taken away your men, your leaders, your mighty men. I've given you over for children and women to direct you and rule you. Wow. The majority of the work that is done in the church is carried out by women in most churches. Yet God desires the spiritual affairs of the church to be led by men. In chapter 2, verse 1 through 3, it tells you that. The men are to be the leaders, the heads of the church. This particular command wasn't um, declaring that the woman couldn't stay or do anything in public. She can. She can worship because Paul clearly stated to the Corinthians that she can pray and prophesy in 1 Corinthians 11.5. That's an established fact. So he's not telling her she can't pray. He's not saying she can't worship. The context is going to tell us exactly what she cannot do. The teaching leadership of the church has the responsibility to teach the saints, the men and women, to be all they can be in Christ for the edification of the body of Christ, as Ephesians 4, 11 through 16 teaches the few times that we have had to confront a woman in the 38 years we've been in existence in some matter of discipline or ministry problems, and there are very, very few, we have done so in the presence of her husband, whether he was a believer or non-believer, for that husband is the head of his wife. Is that clear? All right? Very important. Ephesians 5.23 speaks about the husband being the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. That also applies to a non-believer. God acknowledges and honors marriage. One head, one tail. He tells Israel, because you haven't been the head, I'll make you the tail. 
All right? Real clear. So the woman is to learn in the public worship, in silence, in all submission. Now, if we just stop there, boy, would there be a lot of people upset. But he explains, this is the proclamation. Now watch. Second comes, the woman is not to teach men in the public worship. Now he's narrowing it down. Listen to the words in verse 12. And I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. He reinforces what he just said after the explanation. Paul was not teaching his own opinion. This is important. He is speaking by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, according to 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, and 2 Peter 1, uh, 20 through 21. God is revealing this through him, by the Spirit of God. Now, some have pointed out that Paul qualifies some of his writings in 1 Corinthians after his own judgment as to virgins in contrast to the commands from the Lord to the married, but both are under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians 7, 10 through 25. There's no difference, okay? It's just an expression he's making. Because if that's the case, who's going to tell me which are Paul's words and which are the Lord's words? You see, if you think, you can dismiss a lot of the, uh, the objections. The command... It's scripture and nothing less than scripture. It's the plumb line. He is giving a command for all generations. Hear me clear. All generations till the Lord would take his church home. The context is the capacity of teaching leadership. Context. Very important. This command continues to the qualifications of the elders in chapter 3, 1 through 7. No exception. People ignore the qualifications for those who serve in ministry today. Elders, bishops, deacons, deaconesses. The command transcends culture. The command is that Timothy might know how he was to conduct himself in the house of God if Paul delayed 1 Timothy 3.14. That's why he wrote this letter. The command is a constant for church order, for the entire church age. God knew the church would be here in 2018. Nothing's changed. He will provide scriptural and historical reasons for his statement when we get to verse 13 and 14. We will say more when we get there. But let me just say that they're not cultural, as many declare, in order to appease the feminist culture in the church and at times wanting to be politically correct. As so many churches are, universities, Christian colleges, and seminaries. Now notice, Paul was teaching that a woman is not to be a teacher over men or have authority over men. The context again is the public worship and over a man. Mark it well. Explain Explaining further her silence with submission. The term for man there is never used of a feminine, a female in scripture. It's never in the feminine sex. But always in the male to distinguish from the female. You'll find it in 1 Timothy 2.8, 2.12, 3.2, 3.12, and 5.9. Notice the position as one of presiding 
teacher over men in the public worship, teaching doctrine, a pastor teacher. This is the context. The phrase, I do not permit, means to turn over something to someone and allow what they desire to do. It is in the present active indicative, a continual action in the negative, pointing to an abiding attitude, not a temporary one. The word teach means to give instruction, but the Greek tense clearly indicates a teacher, the present infinitive, not just teaching. So the Greek tense and the grammar is very important. Now, the matter of authority refers to a self-worker, master, or autocrat. In simple words, to domineer or have dominion over one. This is the context. The woman is not to exercise headship over men in the public worship, but can teach other women and children through the recognized and delegated spiritual authority of the presiding men. So she can teach women, children, but not over presiding men. That's the only limitation. It's kind of like when God said to Adam and Eve, you can have everything but not that one thing. Where's that one thing? Right? That, that demonstrates our sin nature. And so we try to rationalize it. Well, it's cultural and Paul was a chauvinist pig. No, 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 no. Study, study the word. Eve, by her sin, overturned the order of God's creation by teaching her husband and he put himself under the authority, hers, as we will see. The woman is not to exercise authority over men in the public worship by teaching the context is as a pastor teacher. Again, here is the same Greek tense as before, a present active infinitive referring to a continual action pointing to an abiding attitude and teachable spirit. These are quotes from Greek scholars I'm giving you. Okay? Reinker and Rogers on this one. I'll give you some more as we move along. Three of the leading Greek scholars point this out. A.T. Robertson, Dana and Manti, and Kenneth S. Weiss, from whom I wanted to quote out of their book. Listen carefully, because the grammar is important in the tense. The correct understanding of Paul's words I suffer not a woman to teach are dependent upon the tense of the Greek infinitive and the grammatical rule pertaining to it. In the case of the infinitive, the Greek has a choice between the present or the aorist tense, and he can use either at will, since the time element in the tense of the infinitive is not considered. When the Greek desires to refer only to the fact of the action denoted by the infinitive without referring to details, he uses the aorist. Should he use any other tense, he is going out of his way to add details and the student must pay particular attention to his choice of the tense. Now I'm quoting Dana and Manti in their manual, Grammar of the Greek New Testament, on page 199. And they have to say on the subject, listen carefully, I'm quoting, the eros infinitive denotes that which is eventual or particular, while the present infinitive indicates a condition or process. Thus, the word here for teaching, eros, is to teach while, another Greek word for teaching, present here in 1 Timothy 2.12, is to be a teacher. Paul therefore says, I do not permit a woman to be a teacher, 
The context here has to do with church worship and work. The kind of teacher Paul has in mind is a God-called, God-equipped teacher recognized by the church as those having authority in the church in matters of doctrine and interpretation. This prohibition of a woman to be a teacher does not include the teaching of classes of women, girls, or children in a Sunday school, for instance, but does prohibit the woman from being a pastor or a doctrine teacher in a school. It would not be seemingly neither for a woman to teach a mixed class of adults. These are the Greek scholars, ladies and gentlemen. And you have the text of 1 Timothy 5, 11 through 15, 2 Timothy 3, 6 through 7, and Titus 2, 1 through 5. Now, those that teach otherwise in the emergent church and the liberal Christian colleges and churches, they have culturalized it and ignore the Greek tense and the grammar. And they twist it to be politically correct and not offend the culture. Are we clear on this? Now, Paul was teaching what is consistent with the epistles of the New Testament, the Old, and the entire New Testament. The Old Testament certainly did not permit a woman to teach over a man. The teaching in the synagogue was never by a woman. The internal evidence of 1 Timothy never addresses women to be in authority over men or to be teachers over the congregation, while at the same time the subject of doctrine and teaching permeates the epistle. You can just go through it. Doctrine, 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 doctrine. Not one time, woman. The priority of prayer for the lost in chapter 2 of this epistle is on the men. That does not mean the women can't pray, but he places the responsibility on the men. The qualifications that follow in chapter 3 for bishops is directed to men who are to oversee the church as elders and deacons, with the exception of the deaconess as feminine that he mentions in 1 Timothy 3.11. The elder men are said to be the ones who labor in the word and doctrine, 1 Timothy 5.17. The epistle for church order deals much with the woman's place, responsibility, and order. The public worship, here in chapter 2, verse 8 to 15. The older and the younger widows, in chapter 5, verse 3 through 16. Very specifics. The parallelism of these two verses is unmistakable, as well as the contrasts. Let me point them out. Silence with submission parallels to teach and have authority. Verse 11 is the positive. Verse 12, the negative. Silence is a complement to submission in verse 11, silence is a contrast to teach and authority. In verse 12, silence, submission, teach, and authority are complementing parts that comprise a functioning whole by men and women in the public worship. Jesus didn't appoint women as teachers nor apostolates. He chose 12 men to be his disciples and apostles. He sent out 70 two by two men. The rest of the New Testament does not record women as teachers or pastors over a congregation, but certainly were used in other areas, as we've made note. One would think that if the Lord permitted it, 
that he would have left some command or example of it somewhere in the New Testament. Or that in the pastoral epistles there would be some indication rather than a direct prohibition. There's only three church order manuals. 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus. They're filled with doctrine. The men are the responsible ones for that. The only place in the New Testament that we have the missionary couple instructing another man reveals that it was done under the leadership of the man and not in the public worship. Let me read it for you. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue when Achilla and Priscilla heard him and they took him, speaking of Apollos, aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Acts 18.26 Kill and Priscilla, husband and wife. She's never mentioned without her husband and he's there doing the instruction. Okay? And it wasn't in a teaching mode. It was not a public worship. So those people who try to use that are completely out of line and out of context. The argument that is brought up often is that there are many women who are pastor teachers and God uses or at least seems to use them. Well, the fact that something is occurring does not make it right or scriptural. It is a foolish and carnal argument. The Lord loves sinners so much that he saves and heals individuals even through men who are teaching heresy and are hucksters after money. Because he honors his word above his name, ladies and gentlemen. For every woman who is a pastor teacher, there is a disobedient man to the call of ministry. The greater failures on the men who haven't responded. The command that prohibits women from being pastor teachers is due to the fact that they would be teaching men and having authority over them and would be contradicting and being inconsistent with the command for young widows to marry, raise children, and manage their homes, literally stayers at home, a homemaker disqualifying them. In 1 Timothy 5.14, Titus 2.5, and 1 Timothy 3.1-7. through 7. It would contradict those commands. You can't have it both ways, ladies and gentlemen. Another simple reason is that a woman in the position of pastor teacher would not have the time to raise her children and care for her home. My wife will get the majority of the credit for this ministry. As she allows me the luxury to spend time in studying and spending time with you. I probably spend more time here than I do with her in the home. It's impossible for a woman to do that and still raise her children and care for her home. Which um, would be a contradiction of qualifications to serve, by the way. Interesting. The Greek grammar and syntax determines the correct meaning of the text and the standard for the church, not our cultural opinions. Acts 17.11, we're to be like Bereans, to examine, to find out if those things are so. Search diligently. It has only been since 1969 that the progressive revisionist view began to appear in the literature following the promoting of women's movement of the 60s. That's where everything ignited as a culture here in the United States and affecting Christian literature. To not allow a woman to teach and have authority over men in the church is not male chauvinism nor machoism. 
It is wisdom, and more than that, it is a scriptural command to be obeyed, as it's inspired word of God, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Women can teach, again, in every other situation. Other women, children, young girls, but not mixed audience of men and women or over men. Real clear. Real simple. The woman is not the teacher have authority over a man in the public worship. Notice third and last. He's going to back up the authority behind what he has said. The woman's to understand the scriptural reasons she is limited in the public worship. Verse 13 and 14. First, God's creation denies headship to the woman. Listen to the words. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. Wow. Adam was created by God first, as you know. He was not created by God second. Genesis 2, 7 and 20. Adam was not created the same way as Eve. Eve was taken from his curved side. Flesh, bone, and blood. Closest part of his heart. Genesis 3, 21 and 22. Adam was given the headship over the garden. Genesis 2.15, not Eve. Adam was given commandments by God. Genesis 2.16-17, which he was to communicate to his wife. Adam was given the leadership of God's creation in Genesis 2.19 and 20, not Eve. Adam was given the leadership of the home, Genesis 2.24, not Eve. Leave, cleave, one flesh. Leave father and mother, be joined to your wife, cleave, and become one flesh. Eve was created by God second. Eve was to be Adam's companion, Genesis 2.18. 1 Corinthians 11.9, Paul confirms this. Eve was taken from Adam's side to be protected and cared for, Genesis 2.21. Eve was brought to Adam, not Adam to Eve, Genesis 2.22. Eve was to be the complement of Adam, Genesis 2.23, 1 Corinthians 11.11. Eve was named after her created order and source of all life. Genesis 2, 23. Eve was to be Adam's sexual partner. Genesis 2, 24 and 25. 1 Corinthians eleven twelve. Very clear revelations. Facts, not opinions. Truths, not theories. Now, notice God's declaration also is that Adam was not deceived. And Adam was not deceived. Verse 14, the beginning. Adam was not the object of Satan's attack. Genesis 3.1. The word deceive means to cheat or beguile, which appears four times in the New Testament. Ephesians 5.6, 1 Timothy 2.14 twice. And James one twenty six, Adam heeded the voice of his wife in Genesis 3, 6 and 17. He should not have. Adam and Eve both acknowledged to God Eve's deception in Genesis 3, 9 through 13. Adam failed in his headship role to lead his wife in spiritual matters and instead followed Genesis 3, 6 through 7 and verse 17. Adam was held responsible for the fall because he was the representative federal head of the human race, not 
Eve, Romans 5, 12 through 14. Sin came through one man and death through sin and death and sin passed to all men through the federal headship of Adam, not Eve. God's revelation is that Eve was deceived. Read it. 14, second part. But the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Eve was deceived by the serpent in Genesis 3, 1 through 6. Again, the word deceive is the same as before. But it's in the aorist participle here, completely deceived. Thoroughly duped by the serpent. She gave ear to Satan. Genesis 3, 1 and 2. She added to God's word in Genesis 3, 3. God never says don't touch it. She gave it to her husband. But first she gave in to her emotions and her desires in Genesis 3, 4 through 6. Eve was deceived by believing the lie and rejecting the truth of God's word. Genesis 2, 17 and 3, 4. She allowed the lie to cause her to disregard God's warning and disbelieved the consequences. Genesis 2, 17 and 3, 4. She allowed Satan to plant doubt in her mind about the goodness of God. Genesis 3, 5. Eve knew the truth of what was right and wrong. Otherwise, God would have been unjust in his punishment of Eve. Like Eve, some of the women of Ephesus were deceived completely and violating the order of God's creation by teaching and exercising authority over men in the public assembly of the house of God. Eve being deceived, Paul says, fell in transgression. Genesis 3.13, and he confirms it in 2 Corinthians 11.3-4. She abandoned her divine appointed role of submission to Adam and took, listen, the lead. She violated her divine appointed role by usurping authority over Adam. She introduced Adam to the forbidden fruit, and he ate. She first had her eyes open to her nakedness and fallenness, then gave to Adam, and his eyes were open, and they both hid themselves. You would think that being fallen and shame and knowing sin and death, that she would not entice her husband to eat. No, she did. So much for the goodness of man. Hmm. The usual way people explain away the prohibition of women to not teach men or have authority over them is that it is a cultural difference. Failing to correct the following two verses Connecting them correctly of God's creative order of Adam and Eve, as well as the revelation that Eve was deceived as the scriptural reason for the command. The reasons are not cultural, nor limited to the geographical location of the church, but scriptural. These reasons are the valid reasons for all times in the church and the gospel. Epistles do not alter them nor contradict them. Adam was created first. Eve was deceived. Scriptural and historical reasons, not cultural. Are we clear on this? The reasons prohibited 
any woman from any position in the church, by she would become the head over the man without the proper oversight of the ruling authorities of the eldership of men, would be wrong. To just put it to culture. Or that it's just Paul's opinion. You are violating the scripture. Simple. Listen to Amos. Amos, the prophet, declares, Can two walk together except they be agreed? It's a rhetorical question that has only one obvious answer. No. To walk in harmony with God, we must agree with his word, and no area is more important than in the male and female order for the church. Amos 3.3, can two walk together except they be agreed? We agree with God. He does not agree with us. The men in the church, as far as I have seen in the 45 years in my Christian experience, for the most part have left spiritual matters to the woman, abdicating their spiritual headship in public worship, and at times allowing their wife to choose even the church they will attend even when the word is not taught or heresy is being taught, exercising authority over her husband. Even as Abraham followed Sarah's advice to go into Hagar, resulting in an Ishmael, a work of the flesh in Genesis 16. Sadly, it continues in the church. And many women take lead in their home. You know the old Greek saying, you know, the man's the head, but the woman's the neck that moves the head, right? Funny, but not to God. Not to God at all. He told Israel, I've made you the head, but because you haven't exercised, I'm going to make you the tail. That's judgment. The woman that appeared in the Bible, both Old and New Testament, are never presented as teachers of Israel or the church. Not one example. Phoebe is a deaconess in Romans 16, 1 and 2. The um, pronosticators, tarot card readers, astrologers, palm readers, and the majority that are presented on television are women. The following of Christian psychology is composed of about 80% women as well as the books that are bought. Because all of that has to do with emotion and feelings. The obvious implication of what Paul is saying is that the woman or the women at Ephesus were being spiritually deceived. Now this is by no means refers that the woman is inferior intellectually, morally, or spiritually but only that perhaps she is more prone to being taken in to her, for her emotions and her emotional makeup that's distinct from the man. Greater highs, greater lows, affecting her decision-making. Therefore, God has designated her to be under the protection and covering of the man for efficiency of God's complementing design of the home in the church. It's common sense, ladies and gentlemen. And so the woman is to understand the scriptural reasons she is limited in public worship. Because Adam was created first and she was deceived. Head, non-head. More linear thinking, more emotionally thinking. 
We're different as day and night, ladies and gentlemen. Black and white, up and down, in and out. And so Paul has declared to us three important truths about the woman's order in public worship that answers the question, what about women pastors? The Bible says no. Once again, a woman can teach, can be a teacher to teach women, children, young girls. But a woman cannot and should not exercise the position and authority and function of a pastor teacher usurping authority over men under her. Very, very clear. Not my opinion. Biblical doctrine. And so, it's the way it is. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your love, your goodness, your grace. We thank you. We pray, Lord, you continue to instruct us. And, Lord, that we rightly divide your word, regardless of what men say, culture, or anything else, that we would honor you, Lord, and that you would just deal with our hearts. And so, Lord, we thank you. As you're praying, if you're here tonight, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has brought you here to be saved. To repent of your sins. If you're out there somewhere in the world. Spain, Germany, Cuba, Mexico. The Cayman Islands. Wherever you are. If you don't know Jesus Christ. As your Lord and Savior. He died for you. He loves you. He paid the price for your sin. And if you believe that he died in your place. You can call upon him to forgive you of your sins. And you ask him in your heart. And he will make you a child of God by grace through faith. No one deserves heaven. We all deserve hell. But he died making the payment for sin that whoever calls on his name will be saved. And so whether you're out there somewhere in the world, the, the internet, or right here, right now, a prayer of repentance is what God requires. The jailer said, what must we do to be saved? Repent. And you and your house will be saved. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the word of God. Romans 10, 17 says. And so if you want to be born again, this is your prayer right now, wherever you might be. And right where you're at, he's going to transform your life. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Baptize me with your Holy Spirit. I accept you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.